Lovely jubbly. I am officially on, apparently. Can you hear me? I've got my microphone is turned on. Whoever that one coming through? I don't know. Yes. There I am. There I am. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's good to see you guys. I'm trying to remember the last time I was here. I can't remember how long ago. Am I losing this? I moved out of my glasses. The bane of glasses, etc. Let's try again. There we go. I think that's right. Yeah, the last time I was here, I can't I can remember what I spoke on. I spoke on one Peter, and I did mention a film. I did mention Finding Nemo. This keeps moving, you have to mould it a bit. Yeah. Maybe I have weird shaped ears. Come on, James, sort me out. Yeah, yeah, go get, go get physical with it. Get physical! No, we won't sing that. Does that hurt? No, it doesn't hurt. There you go. Does that mean it's... Does, does it need to hurt? Yeah, <laughs> You come here and speak to us, Will, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, Sam is correct. I like cinema a little bit. Uh, just a tiny bit. I, I love cinema. I am very passionate about it as a form of art. And um, so part of your creative series, he said, you just explained, we met up for breakfast as we do sometimes and explained a little bit about what you guys are doing, which I think is a brilliant idea. I love it. I'm tempted to maybe take the idea back home, all the way to Herne Bay, back to Beacon Church. And um, when I first thought about how can I speak on faith and film, I was tempted just to make you sit down and watch two or two hours of Mad Max Fury Road, which is officially, in my head, the best film ever made. But I fear that might serve me better than it would serve you. So relax, we are not watching Mad Max today. But what I want to do, what I do want to do is celebrate the world of film, but more importantly, celebrate the great artist, the great director behind everything, really. I want to celebrate God, because we are made in the image of a creator God, aren't we? Therefore, being made in the image of a creator God, we are creative beings, and we get to reflect him in the way we imagine, the way we craft, the way we make our brushstrokes, the way we pen our words, the way we make our instruments sing or cast our movies upon, upon a big screen. Movies may not be your thing. Some people prefer books or hiking. You know, that's fine. But whether you're a fan or not of cinema, films are something we can all enjoy on occasion. Whether it's the Bond film at Christmas or Finding Nemo on a bank holiday, whatever it might be. We can all enjoy cinema as an art form. And films can teach us a lot about faith. Films can teach us a lot about the great artwork that God is gradually unveiling around us. I would contend, this is one of the few hills I am willing to die on, I would contend that film is the greatest form of art. What I mean, ooh, ooh, Paul's shaking his head, I know where he's going. What I mean is, and it's arguable, but what I mean is, when it comes to film, when it comes to cinema, you take the greatest people, the greatest experts in writing, you, take, you get the greatest in photography, you get the greatest in costume design, you get the greatest in composition and orchestration and arrangement and playing of music. You get the greatest in editing, you get the greatest in graphics, you get the greatest in computer effects, you sometimes get the greatest in dancing and choreography as well. All coming together to make a big team, to make this miraculous, amazing form of art, this one thing that they're all heading for. So in that respect, I contend that film might be one of the greatest forms of art. One of, how's that? Fair, might be. <laughs> Not many of us are likely to be making films at some point in the future. That's quite a rare thing for many people because it's such a big thing to undertake. Even small films are difficult to make. So it might be a bit different to creative writing. Many of us might have a go at that or composing music, etc. But nevertheless, spending time exploring the medium of film just reveals a lot for us all to appreciate regarding the good news. 
actually. And that's what I want to do today. Because you see, there's three things I want to look at. Filmmaking uh, is a very long process. Even for small indie films to the biggest blockbusters we see on the screen. They involve many hands, they involve many stages. There's three main stages I want to look at. First of all, there's the script. I want to look at the script. Without a good script, you can't make a good film. You can make a bad film out of a good script, so you can really screw it up. But you can't make a good film out of a bad script. You need that good foundation in place. So I want to look at the script. And then, once you've got a script, you then need to do the financing and the casting and the designing and the building of sets and so on. And then you come to the shoot. That's the second thing I want to look at. The script and the shoot. When you're on stage, on the set, out on location, filming. The shoot. And then once you've done that, you've still got the editing, putting it all together. You've got the mixing, you've got the distributing, the, the marketing for it to finally arrive on a big screen, which is what it's all about, to show an audience. And that's the show. That's what, again, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the script. I want to talk about the shoot. I want to talk about the show. And each of those three main stages teaches us a lot. Not just about film, but also about life, about our big questions, about what it is to be human, and about God's great artwork that he's unfolding all around us. Uh, I've got three clips to show us in a little while. Um, full disclosure... I only realised yesterday two of them featured my favourite actress, Kate Blanchett. It's not bias. This is because they're good clips and good films, okay? And the other one features my second favourite actress, Eric Kazan. Again, it's not bias. It's just the way it worked out, isn't it, my darling? Yes, love. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, let's, look, let's start looking at the script. Aaron Sorkin. I don't know if you know the name, Aaron Sorkin. He wrote uh, Social Network, the film Social Network. He also wrote... Uh, a Few Good Men, he also wrote uh, the first few seasons of West Wing that is on TV and so on. He's quite a prolific writer, very clever writer. He once said, and I love this quote, he once said, the most powerful delivery system ever invented for an idea is a story. The most powerful system or delivery system ever invented for an idea is a story. And as Christians, as lovers of the Bible, we can appreciate that God has chosen story to best express his desire for humanity. We're in this journey called life, and effectively it unfolds like a story, doesn't it? We each have our own story. Is that not right? Our life is such as it is with its beginnings and middles and ends, and we get to acknowledge other people's stories, other people's journeys, their struggles and their lessons along the way too. And if we're willing to look, we can start to see there's a great author at work. Uh, the Bible itself talks about Jesus in a storyteller's language. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, um, yes, look to Jesus, look into Jesus. In, I've got the ESV here, it says, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the beginning and the end. And other versions would describe that, rightly so, as the author of our faith. Uh, it's that, in the original word, archigo, it's the, the Greek word archigo, it means captain or pioneer, someone who fashions a journey, decides we're going to get from A to Z, here's how we're going to get there. And it's rightly so, it is... He's also described that word as author. And Peter himself in Acts chapter 3 verse 15 uses that same word, archigo, to describe Jesus as when he's addressing the crowd. He says he's the author of life. Jesus is writing out a grand story and writing out our stories within that. To go with that, you've got John chapter 1 verse 1, famous verse describing who Jesus really is. And it says, in the beginning was the... Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God out loud. That's who Jesus is. 
Words themselves, they are more than just air passing through a larynx and being formed by a mouth. That could just be noise. Words are more than just a collection of letters on a page. That could just be gobbledygook. Words are more than that. Words, whether they're written or whether they're spoken, they have power because they're decisive. They're intentional. They're directional. They're communicating something from one person to another. That's Jesus. He's the word. He's expressing something intentional from God to us. He is God expressing himself out loud. Don Miller wrote a fantastic book called Blue Like Jazz. If you haven't read it, I really commend it to you. It's very good. It's about how he came back, having lost his Christian faith, how he came back to faith in Christ, and talks about all the clues along his journey about how he came to realise that God is real and Jesus really did die for him. It's not about apologetics. This is about him understanding the poetry of life around him. He's a, he's a real thinker. But in there, he talks about the power of story. He said, even just recognising why we love stories and breaking it down to work out what it is about story that attracts us, he realised it just proved there must be a God because there's something in it we connect with. He describes story, breaks it down into the elements of uh, setting. Every story has a setting. There's a context to it. There's a framework to story. He talks about conflict in story. There's something about we engage with that. We recognise it and we, we, we relate to it. The conflict and tension in stories. But then also climax and resolution in stories. We, our hearts sing for the happy ending, don't we? There's something in that. And the more he looked at it, he realised... Why do I love this? There must be something grander that attracts me to it. And these aspects of story that I'm going to look at briefly, they all strike a chord with us because we experience them, because they point to something greater. They all point to a need for God to be true. Let's just look at those just for a moment. Setting, the first one. Setting, context. Every story has a setting. Whether it's set on another planet or in another time period or in a certain place we recognise or somewhere that's alien to us, it has a setting. It gives it meaning, it gives it context, it gives it framework. We are in the UK in 2018. We are currently in a school hall in Faversham. We all have homes we live in, sometimes with people, sometimes not with people. We have certain kinds of neighbours. We have a certain kind of workplace or places where we go and play. It gives us setting reference points to our lives. And as Christians, knowing that Jesus is writing our stories... And getting woven into his grander story gives us meaning. Our hearts resonate with the whole idea of setting in stories because we experience that very thing every day. It gives us reference points to start comparing things to and working our heads around. I just want to show you um, a clip. It's actually a trailer. One of my favourite films called Ruby Sparks. I don't know if many people, not many people have heard of it. It's a fantastic movie. Highly recommended again. Just to set the scene for this, I'll let the trailer explain the rest of the story. But in this, there's this young man called Calvin. He's been acclaimed as one of America's greatest young novelists. He wrote this amazing novel that everybody loved ten years ago. Ten years on, he's still struggling to write that second book. Let's watch this trailer and see what happens when he starts writing. During the course of the film, Ruby starts to discover that she's been written. She's been imagined and it freaks her out. And so it gives her a reference, gives her a new framework, a new context to her existence. And she has to rethink everything and it causes conflict, is the next thing I want to talk about, causes conflict in their relationship. Because learning that Calvin has been writing her, and as he writes her, she develops and shapes, suddenly there is resistance on both sides. 
Because in this relationship, and I'm not giving away the ending, just watch it for yourself, but from her, she wants to be free. She doesn't want to be written by someone else. She wants to be free to be her own person. But from Calvin, there's resistance and conflict from him, not wanting, wanting to let her go. Because she is his perfect ideal woman. Our bigger than the universe, God, he loves us enough to both pursue us, having created us, having imagined us. He pursues us. He wants us. But in his great love, he also lets us choose to accept him or spurn him. It's one of those great mysteries of his utter sovereignty and free will. It's one of those. Let him worry about that. But it's conflict. We resonate with conflict in stories because we experience it ourselves in life. The idea of conflict would make no sense to us if we didn't experience it ourselves. And it's because there is conflict in the cosmos. That's why we just see it in our relationships and with our neighbours sometimes and wherever it might be. Something is not right in the universe. The universe is unsettled and we see it everywhere. And the Bible says that arrived the moment we decided as a human race to be free from our author. Genesis chapter 3. The Bible is remarkably honest about conflict. It's one of the great things that helped, for me, proves it's true. Just the way it talks about conflict in such an honest way. And good films are the ones that don't brush it under the carpet either. Conflict can come in different forms. Conflict can be internal, wrestling with our conscience. I'm sure all of us can put our hands up to that. Like Gollum in The Two Towers, the Lord of the Rings film. You see both aspects of Gollum's personality on screen, wrestling with himself, fighting for good or for bad. We can relate to it because we experience it. It can be external conflict, like an evil government in the Hunger Games, or bullies like Biff in Back to the Future, or peer pressure like in Mean Girls. We, they're all things that we can experience, and as we experience it, we resonate, we connect, we recognise something true. Conflict is a real thing, and there's a reason why we connect with it in story. So then you've got setting, you've got conflict, and then it comes to climax and resolution. The best stories have a climax. The best stories have a point of decision where action needs to be taken. A choice needs to be made. And we applaud the hero who battles her demons or owns his failures to win the day, don't we? We want to stand up and cheer them on. We cheer the moment when events indicate what the end will be. We can see it all starting to dovetail together. As you start to see everything fall into place in a well-written film, you get those tingles in the back of your neck. So here we go. When the clues fall into place or the villain makes a fatal slip, our heart sings like, yes, the good end is coming, the one I hoped for. And as Christians, that is our story. That really is our story. The great climactic moment of the cross when our author placed himself in our story. And as the great hero with a capital H, he faced the enemy down with the devil, sin and death, and he won the day decisively. He's the great hero a great climactic moment to bring about the most beautiful resolution you will ever find. The great day when he comes and takes us home. There's something in us that yearns for that, even if we don't know what it is we're yearning for as human beings. As Christians, we get to discover what it is. Stories draw us for these very reasons. The script draws us for these very reasons. The Bible's story, when fully understood, tugs at our heartstrings unlike any other, I suggest an actual, eternal, happy ever after. That's the Christian story. That's the story of the Bible. So that's script. That's looking at the script, the power of story. 
But I want to talk about the shoot because living out that script is always much more messy than it looks on paper, isn't it? All of us can put our hands up to that, I'm sure. Life is never simple. And it's invariably messy. And that's because we're in the thick of it. We can't see it from God's perspective, for example. When we're in the thick of it, it can feel very hard and we can think all hope is lost. In 1974, Steven Spielberg was making his first cinema feature film. He started without a finished screenplay. Not a good start. Most of the famous actors they wanted had said no for the cast. And two of those they had managed to convince, two of the main cast, Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfuss, they kept feuding throughout the shoot. They did not like each other. And the former, Robert Shaw, he was regularly drunk on set just to add to the problems. The film ran way over budget and way over schedule. It was supposed to take two months to shoot. It took six months in the end. Three times as long. The studio head twice tried to fire Spielberg from the film that his own studio was making. Other people managed to stop him. The main star of physical prop kept sinking and corroding. The main boat began sinking with all the equipment on board. And on the last day, Spielberg was already on the boat heading for shore before they'd finished filming the last shot because he was convinced when it was over, the crew were going to mutiny and throw him off the boat. And yet, Jaws became one of the most lucrative and popular films of all time. It's officially the first summer blockbuster and it changed the culture. When you're in the thick of it, you would never have imagined that. When we're in the throes of life, all we can see is the chaos while God sees the final artwork. It's like a tapestry. You know, you look on the back of a tapestry, it's an utter mess. When you turn it around to see what it's meant to be, you see the beauty. It's exactly the same thing. We're in the thick of the back of that tapestry. When we're in the thick of it, we want to make sense of it, don't we? Because we can only see it from one perspective. Got another clip for you from uh, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Brad Pitt film. Uh, Just listen to what Benjamin, played by Brad Pitt, says in this scene. He's describing the events leading up to his girlfriend Daisy. She has an accident, she's a ballet dancer, and she has an accident that ends her career partway through the film. Just listen to what he's trying to say as he describes the incidents leading up to it. He forgets to mention that she shouldn't have been pirouetting in the street. However, without faith, we can only imagine the what-ifs. If only that hadn't happened, then this might not have happened. If only things had gone differently, if only that had occurred in a different way, my life would be different. And we start putting blame to fate sometimes and trying to work out the what-ifs. Benjamin couldn't have known all those terms of events. He's not God. Yet he's trying to picture all the what-ifs. It's something we all tend to do. He... And Daisy and we want to give reason or blame to things that have happened, whether we're blaming people or blaming fate. But the whole book of Job, for example, in the Bible, again, is very honest about this. It forces us to ask, what or who are we trusting when things seem to have gone wrong? It gives a whole different perspective on events in our lives, when the script is being worked out. While some things do just happen, Others are because of stupid choices or willful choices on our behalf or others. But all along, are we trusting the great author, the great director at work instead? Because that's without faith, but with faith, we can then really embrace the words of Romans 8.28, for example, that God is orchestrating all things together for good for those that love him. It's a very, very different way of looking at life in general. 
And that Jaws shoot I was talking about, Steven Spielberg's shoot of Jaws, it may have been remarkably messy, but it all came together to create something remarkable. Life is messy, but God is still at work. Again, that's the great story of the Bible. It's something we can learn and trust. So that's the shoot. The script, the shoot. I just want to look at the show before I finish. Because this is when we get to see how when the final reel is played on the big screen, we will discover a work of art that God has directed all along. The Bible gives enough hints of what it will look like. We can still try and interpret end times and work out, etc., etc., and you'll probably get it wrong. But we, one day we can look back and go, ah, oh, get it now. We get to see the big, great artwork that God has been directing. When we step back, when it all comes together, when we learn to see everything from God's perspective, it's only then we realise the majesty of what God would have crafted from the mess. Many people discuss the great film directors like Spielberg, like Alfred Hitchcock and so on, and they marvel at how they are able to see every aspect of that final product in their heads before it's made. While they're writing, while they're casting, while they're designing, while they're shooting, while they're editing. And it's astonishing not only how they visualise that in its entirety from beginning to end in their head, they can see the whole thing, but how they're able to express it verbally to the crew, to the cast, to ensure that film gets out of their heads and onto a screen. It's a remarkable thing. As image bearers, bearing the image of Creator God, that reflects the marvellous nature of God in so many ways. To see human beings crafting the likes of Ben-Hur, or 2001 A Space Odyssey, or Schindler's List, or Mad Max Fury Road. It's to see hints of the great master at work. It reflects something of his nature. Humanity in general expresses a teaser trader for God in the way we care for the hungry and care for the homeless. It expresses something of his heart. Even non-believers who are naturally good care for the hungry. It's expressing something of the heart of God they don't know yet. As we develop medicines for the sick, it's the same thing. And also, as we create art, that can inadvertently end up celebrating all this and more, even if it's not intentional. All of us are signposts to him simply by being human. We just don't always recognise that. Even in our broken, messy mistakes and often willful rebellion as image bearers, we can't help but be a theatrical release that brings him glory. That's what it means to be human. And we, followers of Jesus, us members of his family, we get to fully fulfil that and appreciate it to its greatest extent. The question is, do you want to be a winning part of that artwork? Or do you want to miss out on the resolution I was talking about? There's something for all of us to learn. I trust most of us in this room could put our hands up and go, I'll make mistakes. But I've asked him that I can be a part of that because of his great work on the cross. It's a big question. Film is an art form that makes us cry, makes us laugh, makes us jump, makes us learn, makes us empathise, makes us process grief, makes us cheer, makes us applaud. It's a very powerful medium. And I trust that just this past half hour or so has just helped us see the gospel benefit of quality cinema. There are some bad films out there as well. But whether you're someone who has a heart to create it, or whether you're just someone who has a heart just to simply appreciate it. Cinema can teach us much about the need for God and his involvement in life. Cinema is an opportunity to listen to the world's hurts and hungers. 
Don't just watch UK film, don't just watch US film, watch world cinema. You get to appreciate other cultures and their points of view and their perspectives on life as well. You can learn a lot just by watching world cinema. South Korea and France and Spain and Brazil, they all make fantastic films. There's plenty more out there to watch. It's a great opportunity to also listen to God's heartbeat for us and for those that don't know him yet. Be discerning, I will say this, be discerning. If something will cause you to sin, don't watch it. Be wise. Skip that scene, fast forward it, look away, shut your ears, turn it off or don't watch it in the first place. If it will cause you to sin, don't. And if it will affect you negatively, either in emotions or thoughts afterwards, again, be wise about we all have different capacities and different sensitivities and different weaknesses. Just be wise about what you're watching. But cinema in general isn't completely dangerous, but it's not completely harmless either. Just be wise about what you're watching. But like any other form of art, cinema has much to teach us about the world around us. There's a lot to learn. It teaches us so much about what it is to be human, it teaches so much about God at work in our lives. Even in non-Christian cinema, you can learn a lot about him just by listening to what's going on on that screen. Cinema teaches us ultimately what it means to be a part of God's big picture. I just want to show one more clip from Elizabeth the Golden Age. Kate Blanchett again playing Elizabeth I. And there's this one scene, I, just, I love it. Just, it does make my heart sing. And you'll see why in a moment when she receives audience from Sir Walter Raleigh and he's describing to her what it's like to feel adrift at sea or in the storms on the ocean. Again, something we can relate to life. Sometimes we can feel adrift or we can feel we're in the middle of a storm. But let him tell the story of how he responds to that. Here we go. Study your charts. Watch your compass. Pray for a fair wind and hope. I'm just going to pray for you want to work out what to do next. But uh, Lord, thank you that we are not cast adrift. Thank you that we are not alone in this story, this journey called life. But there is a great author, a great director at work behind the scenes who knows exactly what he's doing, who's got the whole artwork in his head. And you have made it so that it will happen. Your promises do not come back empty. Thank you that you are an immense, good, perfect, loving Father that we can trust. And Lord, I thank you for art. I thank you that you, you have put art in us as a means to express you in so many different ways. Lord, help us as your people to keep expressing more of you through the things we do and the things we create, the things we shape, the things we form and enjoy. Lord, may our hearts sing of you. May our hearts speak of you. May our lives witness to you in all we do, all we play, all we appreciate, all we create. Because you're an amazing, amazing God. It's in your hands we can feel safe and secure and full of hope. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.